Welcome to Smart Parent Successful Students Podcast. I'm your host, Helen Panos. I run a tutoring company for K through 12 students who need help with reading, math, writing, study skills, ACT, SAT, prep, and more. My tutors work both virtually and in person. We specialize in really getting to know your kids and helping them thrive. I was a teacher and leader in a Georgia school system for 25 years. I saw what worked and what didn't. And there are definitely some gaps that teachers can't touch, which is why our tutors are so important. Teachers can only do so much. I'm here to bridge that gap between parents and teachers to help your kids become successful in school and beyond. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Smart Parents Successful Students podcast. And I'm your host, Helen Panos, and I am here today with a new guest. And he is a special guest because he's been doing this for a long time. His name is John Roseman. Welcome to the show, John. Thanks for inviting me on the show, Helen. Appreciate it. Thank you. I know I've heard you speak at a private school here in Atlanta, Georgia before. I'm going to try to come when you, I think you're coming to Pine Academy in September uh, and coming, Georgia. Those of you that are listening to this, um, he'll be in, uh, you could check out his website. Actually, he's probably going to be speaking in, in a few places. I know you're going on vacation for a little bit, right? Didn't you uh, say for the next uh, couple of weeks, yes. We're going to be yep. in Croatia. Ah, beautiful. That's awesome. I just came back from this summer going to Greece. So that was that was fun. So, country. Yeah. So the I know your company name is the Leadership Parenting Institute. You're the founder and director. I know you're in North Carolina, so but you travel. I know I've seen you come to Georgia and where other states do you go to? Well, as a public speaker, Helen, I've been in every state of the union except Atlanta, uh, not Atlanta, <laughs> what am I saying, except uh, Alaska and ah. um, Montana. Those are the only two states I have not spoken in. Wow. So you've spoken in Hawaii too? Oh, yeah. I've spoken in Hawaii probably a dozen times. Wow. That's yeah. cool. <laughs> well, parents uh, that are listening, uh, his website is John Roseman. That's R O S E M O N D dot com. And we'll have the podcast notes there so you can click on it. Um, you can find John uh, Roseman as his name on all the social media outlets. I follow him on Facebook. That's more my kind of preference of social media platforms, but he's on LinkedIn, he's on Instagram, he's on Twitter. So, but you could definitely, we're going to talk about uh, parentguru.com. Is that another website of yours? Parent yeah, I've got two websites, parentguru.com, which is a membership website. And, ah, okay. uh, and then johnroseman.com. Okay, we'll let you talk about that membership thing here at the end. But I know um, I'm going to introduce uh, Mr. Roseman. He is a psychologist by training, but devotes his time writing books and nationally syndicated newspaper column. We were just talking about the AJC, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. He's been doing that for years. We think it's in, probably in the lifestyle section, but he writes in what, it shows up in 200 newspapers, is that correct? It's something like 200 these days. You know, it, it probably drops every day, Helen, because <laughs> the newspaper industry is uh, disappearing. So right, it's, really, it's dying. Yeah. 
Well, my husband always gets up every morning and he goes straight to the AJC.com. And he, he reminds me of my dad. My dad used to sit up on the uh, armchair and he'd have the AJC open, opening up the big leaves and reading it right. I tell my husband, he's the 21st century of my dad. He just goes on the computer and reads it. <laughs> it reminds me of my dad in that way. First thing they did would, would go, go and get the news in the morning. So it's just changing the way it's delivered, right? So he, he would see your column because he'd see it on AJC.com. But um, I know you are writing for that column and speaking nationally, internationally. You're a husband, father, grandfather, evangelical Christian, and you believe that psychology is a crop. So we'll talk about that. <laughs> and um, well, there's reasons why we say some of that stuff. So we're going to get into, let's start with you telling the audience um, your journey about why, where, you know, where you started, how you got to where you are. I don't know if you've always worked for yourself or were you in the psychology world working as a clinician or you could tell yeah, the audience well, how you started. I, I graduated, you go back. <laughs> uh, graduated from graduate school, Western Illinois University, 1972. Uh, did the usual journeyman psychology thing of working in community mental health centers for about eight years, went into private practice. I had started writing my newspaper column in 1976 when I really didn't know anything about children at all. And uh, someone had just suggested that I write a newspaper column. And uh, so uh, the person had connections with the local newspaper. The local newspaper eventually approached me. I started writing the column, uh, went into syndication in 1979 and was in at its peak about 750 newspapers around the country and I began traveling, went into private practice in 1980, um, wrote a best-selling book uh, in 1989, um, got a lot of attention, a lot of publicity because basically I was saying about children and, and by this point I'd educated myself concerning children and a large part of my education was my own kids and I, I began uh, uh, basically giving advice that was counter to the sort of things that people in my profession were saying about raising children so I quickly became identified as a guy who, although a psychologist, was really just suspensing common sense, which I like to believe is true. And um, so as a result of the best-selling book, began traveling a lot, doing public speaking all over the country, and eventually in uh, 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 Europe and the Middle East and uh, uh, I've been invited to China, been invited to Africa, been invited to Australia, oh, wow. been invited to South America. But when people understand that I, I, I don't travel internationally unless I go first class, I, I go domestic within the United States, but uh, not internationally. I've tried domestic, I've tried coach 
international and it, it just doesn't work. And uh, I get there and it takes me five days to recuperate, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so when people find out what my expenses are going to be, the, I, I become somewhat of a hot potato. <laughs> um, but um, uh, along the way, two children, uh, seven grandchildren. Oh, wow. My wife and I, we, we were married when I was 20 and she was 19. And uh, we are still married 54 years later. And um, uh, that's awesome. Going Congratulations. Both, <laughs> both in good health and all that. Um, I, you know, uh, you mentioned before the show started that in, in, on my website, it says that I believe psychology is a crock. And uh, I am a psychologist. I'm licensed uh, by the state of North Carolina. And, uh, but I don't really believe in psychology. I, I know a lot about psychology because I am a psychologist. And uh, one of the things I do when I travel is I tell my audiences that um, what they believe about psychology is almost certainly false. Um, there are no practice standards to speak of in psychology. There's no research that indicates that uh, psychological therapy actually works, uh, mm. generally speaking. Uh, it, it's really, it's a crapshoot, Helen. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It's mm-hmm. about, uh, you know, uh, 30% of the time is what the research says. 30% of the time it works. Mm-hmm. Whether the other two thirds of the time, um, it doesn't work at all. And about 30% of the time, people report after they're in therapy that it not only wasn't helpful, but it made things worse. No, no. That, is, that is especially true concerning therapy with children. I think that psychologists are being completely irresponsible 95% of the time when they do therapy with children. Mm. Um, children don't need therapy. They need parents who know what they're doing. Uh, and, and no amount of therapy is going to compensate for parents who really don't know what they're doing, mm-hmm. um, which is probably. Well, true. It's probably, like seeing a tutor one one hour a week when who sees them the majority of the time? Teachers uh, in the classroom, yeah, right? right? And and their parents. Right. <laughs> uh, so well, cool. uh, I'm, I'm a heretic in the field. I'm, uh, I'm the bad <laughs> boy of psychology. Um, and I sort of revel in all that, you know, I, I, uh, I infuriate my colleagues and they don't understand that the more infuriated they get, um, the more they're actually verifying uh, what I'm saying. No, nobody's ever said that uh, what I'm saying is, well, they say I'm wrong but they can't prove it. And Mm. I can prove that I'm right because all of the research that's done, peer reviewed, published is uh, on my side. A special message from Dynamis Learning Academy. Have your children ever test for the gifted program in their public school? Maybe they have, and it's been less than two years. In most cases in Georgia, you cannot test your child again for two years. However, looking at an eligibility form from the 
prior time they tested is very important. At Dynamis Learning Academy, we do this and are qualified to uh, coach you and instruct you on how to navigate the system, which means your child could possibly be tested again sooner than you think. Also, if your children are um, looking to get in the gifted program and they did not qualify two years ago, let's say, then they can be tested again. Reach out to us at 770-282-9931 so that we can discuss this possibility and instruct you on how to move forward within the public school. Thank you. So what is the biggest mistake? And then you can tell me what you're using to, to tell parents that it's right. Uh, what's the biggest mistake today's parents are making? Uh, today's parents give their children entirely too much attention. And, and today's parents believe that attention is some sort of psychological balm, you know, that uh, the more attention a child gets, the better he feels about himself and so on and so forth. Uh, the, this parenting mythology began being dispensed from within the clinical psychological community in the uh, late 60s and early 70s, uh, totally ignoring the historical facts that prior to that time, children um, were loved, um, you know, generally speaking, there are, you know, exceptions to everything I say, but uh, Children were, were loved, they were well taken care of, um, and they did just fine. Mm. Uh, we didn't get a lot of attention in school because classrooms in the uh, late 40s, early 50s, early 60s were uh, overcrowded. My first grade class had 50 children. Oh, when you have 50 children, no single child gets a lot of attention, and yet um, and I'm talking across the board. The average first grade class in the early 1950s held 35 kids, one teacher, no aid. And uh, we did better academically than today's kids mm -hmm. who are in a class, a first grade class of 20, and there are two or three adults in the classroom. Um, the, the secret to success in school as that uh, implies strongly it is not how much attention the child gets. The secret to success in school, and research has verified this, is proper behavior. Mm -hmm. That's so true. A child who pays attention to adults, who respects adults and obeys adults, is going to do a lot better in school than a child who doesn't respect adults and doesn't obey. And um, those are consequences of giving children entirely too much attention. They end up not respecting adults. They end up with a feeling of entitlement and they don't obey adults because they don't recognize adult authority because the adults don't occupy the natural position they should occupy in their families which is the center of attention. In a family, adults should be the center of attention, not children. And I grew up in a family where it was very, very clear that the relationship between my parents was the keystone relationship in the family. 
-hmm. It was the most important relationship. Their relationship with one another superseded any sort of relationship they had with me. Uh, I grew up in a family where it was understood. It was the job of children to pay attention to parents. It wasn't their job to pay attention. It was their job to supervise. And they okay. supervised, but supervision can be provided to a child adequately without paying the child a lot of attention. By attention, I'm talking about interaction with the child. Today's parents, Helen, they believe they, they need to interact with their children. Well, my parents hardly ever interacted with me. I mean, we, we lived in the same house, but I did my thing, they did their thing. And um, my friends um, grew up under the same circumstances. Uh, all of my friends were in the same kind of families. My friends paid more attention to their parents than their parents paid to them. My friends did their thing. Their parents did their thing. You know, they interacted at the dinner table. They interacted uh, at times, you know, family picnics, family outings, things like that. But interaction between parent and child was not something that parents thought they were obligated to do as much as they possibly could. And, uh, and, and our mental health, the mental health of children, uh, verifying that this was a better parenting model than the parenting model that we embraced in the late 60s and early 70s at the behest of the mental health professional community. Um, uh, the mental health of children in the 1950s was statistically 10 times better than the mental health of children today. And children today are getting 10 times more attention than we got. And their mm -hmm. mental health is 10 times worse. Um, mm -hmm. Figure it out. Do the math. <laughs> that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so are you saying if they, if they are not giving them too much attention, then maybe that would promote independence instead and not, because it seems like what I see in homes is, yeah, there is a lot of attention on anything that looks like it's going the wrong way or bad. Let's say, uh, whether that's their academics, their social life, whatever, um, so I guess parents think, I guess they have to jump in and direct, which I mean, being a supervisor, I think there's a way to do that for sure, to express how this is not correct, don't maybe act this way, this is why, kind of show them, not tell them maybe, or I don't know. Um, but that's what I was asking is, um, is it because then that will promote their independence uh, of their parents? And they're not having a lot of battles. I hear a lot of battles going on. Like they won't listen to me. Uh, that's why I have to call you, Helen, because I know how to do this, but they're not going to listen to me in terms of academics. So well, today's, I hear parents, today's parents, Helen, they, you know, when you give a child entirely too much attention to begin with, it becomes almost inevitable that you are, as the parent, going to become a micromanager. 
And this is what today's parents are doing. They're mm. micromanaging. And micromanagers, um, uh, they, they provoke conflict with people they are managing. Mm. They provoke disloyalty. They provoke conflict and uh, communication problems. And uh, this is what American parents are complaining about. Conflict, communication problems, disrespect, disloyalty, et cetera, et cetera. And I try to explain to them, yeah, because you're hovering. And it, you, you put yourself in that position. Do you, do you really think children are going to react to being hovered over any differently than adults? If you are an employee and your manager constantly is hovering over you, constantly checking your work, you're going to become annoyed. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to do your best work under those circumstances. You are going to retaliate in part by not doing your job properly. Just to <laughs> irritate the yeah. person who is hovering over you in this irritating fashion. And mm -hmm. children the same way. If you, if you hover over a child, you aren't going to, to get what you're looking for from the child. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you know, my first grade class, 50 children, 50. One teacher, nobody got a lot of attention. Most of us came, this will blow people's minds. Most of us came to first grade, Helen, not knowing our ABCs. <laughs> because uh, our parents, mothers who were at home during the day, for the most part, uh, in most cases, um, uh, didn't do anything. To te didn't teach us any academics before we went to school. They believed that was the school's responsibility, not theirs. Mm -hmm. And so we came to first grade, because I have Charleston, South Carolina. Kindergarten was not universal in South Carolina. Mm -hmm. I came to first grade not knowing my ABCs. 49 of the kids came to first grade, most of them not knowing their ABCs. And yet, at the end of first grade, we were reading at a higher level than today's kids who begin learning their ABCs when they're two or three years old. Wow. Yeah. Why are they learning their ABCs when they're two or three? Because their mothers mistakenly believe, no research confirms this, that the earlier they learn to read, the better readers and the better students they're going to be. Mm. No, that's not the case. You, you're, it doesn't matter when, how early you learn to read. You're never going to perform in school any better than your IQ predicts. Mm. And so it, it doesn't matter how much academic stuff is stuffed into you prior to you coming to school. If your IQ is 110, that's about, that predicts about where you're going to achieve in school under the best of circumstances. Mm -hmm. Well, so that I think pretty much answers the question about why do parents, today's parents seem to be having more difficulty when it comes to raising kids than any previous generation. Do you want to add anything else to that? Or I think. Oh, no, I think that's good. I know we've got limited time here. That's good. Yeah. 
Okay, and why are so many kids being labeled with psychological diagnoses? If you want because to say that. Because parents are gullible. There, there's no science behind these diagnoses. You know, if somebody says to you, your child has, has leukemia, and you demand to see physical evidence, concrete, tangible, verifiable evidence, the diagnosing physician can show you tangible, concrete evidence. Your child has childhood leukemia. Mm -hmm. But if a psychologist tells you your child has ADHD, oppositional defiant disorder, bipolar disorder of childhood, you know, whatever they say, and you say, I want to see tangible, concrete, verifiable evidence, they can't give it to you because there is none. These diagnoses are made on a purely subjective level. Mm. There's no science behind this whatsoever. This is part of the scam, and I'm going to call it a scam. And if there's any psychologist out there listening to this and you want to complain to my licensing board, let's go at it, okay? This is <laughs> they can a, email you. <laughs> yeah, no, they can go to my licensing board. This is a scam. There is no science behind, credible science behind any psychological diagnoses. Mm -hmm. uh, these are constructs. That's all they are. Leukemia is not a construct. Leukemia right. is a reality. Mm -hmm. lung, lung cancer is not a construct. You know, it's not just an idea. <laughs> it's, it's a reality. Well, the, uh, you, you're probably familiar with the 504. So those at first started being really related only to medical diagnoses, like uh, diabetes or something right. medically. Right. And then it became as time went on, ADHD, dyslexia, anxiety, all of it. Because the psychological <laughs> profession has very good lobbyists working for it. They must. <laughs> well, they, do. they do. Well, I wanted to have people um, actually you know, know to go to your website, parentguru.com. I know that's a, you said that's a subscription uh, program if they want to learn more about that. Do you want to say something about that? Uh, yeah, I mean, go to the website. It's parentguru.com. It, it's a very uh, nominal uh, membership fee per annum. And uh, you can ask questions of uh, parent coaches I've personally trained. Um, you can access the largest parenting library on the face of the earth. Um, you can just go to the archives and type in whatever is uh, you're looking for, and uh, bunches of stuff will usually come up. Um, and uh, we do, I do webinars, other people do webinars, my parent coaches through parentguru.com. So, and, and uh, so I encourage people to, I mean, in my estimation, and of course, I'm, it's impossible for me to be objective about this, but in my estimation, having looked at the quote, competition, end quote, <laughs> I can uh, confidently say this is the best parenting resource website on the World Wide Web. Oh, awesome. Well, I think 
I was going to say we were talking earlier before we started the actual interview, and I said I think the biggest thing parents need is like a like a I say it's a parent university, like they need some direction on what to do because things are not working. They're dealing with a child that might be difficult, whether it's academics, discipline, behavior, whatever. And I, I, I've been following you for since you spoke at the Annunciation Day School. I've, I've been on your Facebook page and sometimes I'll read stuff and I just get a, a chuckle out of like, yep, that's probably what they need to do. I'm thinking to myself <laughs> um, because I see a lot of situations. We go into uh, all my tutors go into homes mainly now since COVID. We were doing some libraries, but now we go into homes. And, you know, I mean, parents are definitely struggling and I think they just need more so some guidance there there is no book in being a parent right and a lot of children are similar not exactly the same but I, I like what you say on your Facebook page and that's why I asked you to join me on my podcast because I think parents knew to hear a different thing and and folks you guys can also get his latest book called the Bible Parenting Code um and I'm sure that's on your website and you know Mr. Roseman has written many other books that you would like, because I know I have one of them myself in his CD. So um, thank you very much for uh, joining us and uh, coming on the show today. I, I really appreciate you sharing your knowledge and you've got a lot of it being a parent. Well, thanks, Helen. I appreciate the invitation. And if you want me back on, just give me a call. I will. Well, thank right. you very much. Take care. You're very Bye -bye. welcome. Bye, bye, bye everybody for now. We'll see you again next week on Smart Parents Successful Students. Thank you for listening to Smart Parents Successful Students podcast. I hope this episode has been insightful and inspirational. Wherever you're listening, be sure to go ahead and subscribe to get the next episodes and to join our email list by going to www.dynamuslearningacademy.com backslash podcast backslash also it would warm my heart if you reviewed the podcast on spotify and shared it with your community and remember i believe that every child would benefit from getting extra support outside the classroom whether they are struggling or are part of an advanced or gifted program because teachers just can't do it all please connect with me about our k-12 tutoring SAT or ACT prep classes, and writing workshops to help your child excel in school. I can be reached through email at helen at dynamuslearningacademy.com or by phone at 770-282-9931. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.